0: Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmaty.com. Well, welcome, everybody. I'm absolutely excited about this next interview that I have for you today. It is with Dr. Thomas Levy, who is sitting in Miami in America, and he is a board-certified cardiologist. He's also an attorney at law, and he has written 11 books. Now, talk about overachiever. This man is amazing. But above all, he is a humanitarian. He is someone who uh, writes about what he believes. He's a straight talker. And today, we're going to be talking about vitamin C, continuing on this journey after my experiences in hospital recently with with my father who died. Uh, of sepsis uh, and I was unable to get in vitamin C. I am on a mission to let people know about how adrenous uh, vitamin C works in the cases of things like sepsis, pneumonia, ARDS, corona, uh, and I'm getting a series of experts. We've already had Dr. Ron Hunninghake on the show a couple of weeks ago, uh, and this is his uh, colleague, Dr. Thomas Levy. You know, Dr. Thomas has written a book called Curing the Incurable uh, about vitamin C and its history, which is over 80 years old. Uh, a huge amount of evidence, a huge clinical uh, experience with vitamin C, and Dr. Levy shares how it works, the mechanisms of action, um, some of the reasons why this is not in the mainstream hospital care for these, uh, for viruses uh, and um, for cancers and so on, and I really hope you get a lot out of today's episode. You know, he is a man who who does say it as it is, and I really, really respect him for doing that because, uh, you know, it's very, very hard for a doctor to criticize anything within the medical world and the way things are set up. But Dr. Levy sort of tells us how it is, some of the, the systemic problems we have. Um, and it's a really interesting interview, above all, about vitamin C and its mechanisms of action. So please, Take a good listen, uh, take heed of his advice and make sure you share this with a family and friends, especially if anybody is dealing with uh, any major sort of health issues, it would be really beneficial. Um, Just as a reminder, we are holding every uh, couple of weeks with our company, Running Hot Coaching, uh, our running masterclass every second Tuesday at 12.30 p.m. New Zealand time. You can register for the next one at runninghotcoaching.com forward slash webinar. On alternate weeks at the same time on a Tuesday at 12.30 New Zealand time, we are holding our epigenetics webinar, which is all around personalizing health according to your genes and helping you understand this great uh, you know, set of genes that you inherited and what you can do to optimize your life, your fitness, your nutrition, your mindset, everything uh, according to your genes and your epigenetics, how they are expressing right now. So register for that at uh, epigenetics.lisatamati.com. Dot com. That's epi epi genetics. dot. Lisa Tarmaty. Dot com And as a reminder, go and grab my book, Relentless, my new book. Uh, if you haven't read my old books, Running Hot and Running to Extremes, and you like running adventures, make sure you check those out. Um, just as a side note too, Desert Runners, which was a movie that I was involved with, is now playing on TVNZ um, On Demand. It's on the Pulse channel, I believe, um, the documentaries. Um, if you haven't seen that movie and you love adventures and running adventures, please go and check that out on TVNZ if you're New Zealand. Right. Before we um, head over to uh, Dr. Levy, just a reminder, please, please, please give this show a rating and review if you enjoy the work that we do. Um, this is a huge amount of work that goes into each one of these episodes um, and it is for uh, love, definitely not for money. Um, and I really appreciate a rating and review. We are going to be introducing a, um, a support, a way that you can support the podcast as a, as a Patreon, if you like. Um in the coming weeks um, so that you can actually support the work we we do and get some bonuses for doing so. Um, So stay tuned for that. Right. Over to Dr. Thomas Levy in Miami. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Pushing the Limits. This is Lisa Tarmati here, and today I am absolutely jumping out of my skin from excitement because I have Dr. Thomas Levy, who is one of the world's most renowned researchers and doctors in vitamin C, among a whole lot of other things. Dr. Levy is also a board-certified cardiologist and a lawyer to boot. Um, go figure that one out. Um, but Dr, <laughs> Dr. Levy is sitting in Miami and he has given up a, a, an hour of his time today to to share information that I think is absolutely crucial that you guys pay attention. So whatever you're doing, drop it and listen to this interview because the work that Dr. Levy and many of his colleagues have been doing is uh, been 40 years in the making. And we're going to be talking today about vitamin C. Now, recently I had Dr. Ron Haninghaker from the Riordan Institute on the show and you had a great, we had a great interview and now we're going to continue that conversation with Dr. Levy uh, with his experience. So welcome to the show Dr. Levy, it's fantastic to have you.
1: Thank you Lisa, glad to be here.
0: (laughs) So doctor, can you tell us a little bit, just in brief, your background and your journey towards vitamin C? Hmm.
1: Well, in a nutshell I was a garden variety mainstream cardiologist some 25 years ago. And through a bunch of circumstances that I won't go into, it's, I don't know, call it karma or destiny or something like that. At the same time, I decided to wind down my cardiology practice. I met Dr. Hal Huggins in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Dr. Huggins, in my opinion, was the first and the world's leading biological dentist. He just wasn't a Tooth mechanic, he took care of the whole body while addressing what was going on in the mouth. And anyway, to make a long story short, he, he ended up asking me to do medical consultations with his patients and follow them up long term. But that only occurred after I visited his clinic a few times and I saw things that, well, in med school you're taught don't exist. <laughs> As an as a intern in resident internal medicine, you're taught these responses can't take place. Wow. And in addition to seeing just overall dramatic improvement in patients, uh, and I'm not going to say this is routine, don't get me wrong, but I saw uh, a couple patients that had been wheelchair-bound with MS for over a year, and they took a few steps at the end of two weeks. Wow. I mean, so there was clear stuff going on physiologically. But the thing that really hooked me was one day early on, uh he had this very elderly patient, uh, an advanced neurologic disease, he was getting a ton of dental work, extractions, I mean the type of stuff that puts uh a college kid in bed for a week when he yeah. goes and gets his wisdom teeth yanked out, he just goes, Oh, I got a yeah. rest. Well, at the end of several hours of this work, this woman was energetic, like I couldn't believe. And I said, wow. "Something's wrong here." Something. And I said, "Hal, what's going on?" And if you knew Hal, you'd know Hal was a very dry, sarcastic person. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Incidentally. <laughs> and he just pointed at the ID. I said, oh, "Okay, yeah, that's an ID, Hal. Thanks." He says, "But what's the big? What does that have to do?" He said, "It's what's in it." Okay, okay, Hal. What's in it? And he said, 50 grams of vitamin C.
0: Wow, 50 grams. Take the- and
1: that just came from left field, smacked me between the eyes, and I literally figuratively went rolling across the room. <laughs> and uh, as the expression goes, uh, I, w- I was going to believe my- I wasn't going to be uh, misled by my lying eyes. <laughs> I saw something. It happened. <laughs> Something was going on here, and at that point in time, that began my research with vitamin C and just about everything else.
0: Wow. So that's the story. And and this is coming from dentists. Uh, Dr. Hal uh, Huggins was was, uh, very, very famous for making us aware of amalgam fillings, from what I understand, and um, uh, root canals. Um, canals, I need to go back and uh, read his books after discovering that in one of your lectures and thinking Crookie, i've got a heck of a lot of those um so i need to look into those for myself absolutely yeah (laughs) they've got me a bit worried i've already spent a bloody fortune on this so i don't know um but so this is a very i mean you've come from cardiology and internal medicine into this and then then you went and did a, a law degree um just to add to the to the uh, achievements that you've had, and then and I might
1: add Dr. Hoggins taught me more real medicine than I'd ever learned before, so my wow. really my second medical education was the one that counted
0: Wow, and so this is really important so because people I think uh, Dr. Levy, and we were you know, talking previously a lot a lot of um, just just people listening, when you go to your doctor, they are not God. And they don't know everything on the planet, and what 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 I try to advocate, and I'm not saying that, that your doctor's bad or, or or whatever, but what I am saying is take responsibility for your own health and understand that we are all humans and that one person's education may not have included some of the things that are f- happening now
1: you know so well, along I- those lines I like to tell people that just as you pretty much said, you have to take responsible for, responsibility for your health and you need to understand and you need to proceed at your comfort level, which means if you have a doctor, he or she, who is put off or doesn't want to take the time or is irritated by you asking questions, don't walk out of that office, run out of it. Okay, so you need to find physicians, medical care, that are will work with you, uh, and as we all know, I mean, hey, physicians like to believe they're brilliant, but that's mostly in their head. <laughs> okay, so uh, you know, they spend their time, they do their, they do their uh, time in school. But in my humble opinion, and I know this is somewhat snide and sarcastic, but I got to say it anyway. I, my find that most physicians view getting a medical degree as the validation that they no longer need to think the rest of their lives.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: I'm a doctor now, I don't need to do anything else. Okay, that's-, and that's obviously only the beginning and you should be continuing to learn and realize that you made a lot of a lot of mistakes until the day you die or yeah. lose or lose cognitive function.
0: Yeah, and this is what, remaining humble uh, in your process to learning and this is not just for doctors this is for everybody you know like we, we have to be constantly learning I love what Dr Hugh Reardon said in one of his um, talks that we are co-learners with our patients and I thought well, that is brilliant
1: Good way of putting it,
0: yeah. That's, that's how a doctor should be approaching this. Okay, now let's do, dive deep into the weeds here with vitamin C. So Dr. Levy has written a book called Curing the Incurable. Please go out and get this book. Among many other books, uh, he's written over 11 books. Uh, one, uh, was it Death by Calcium, uh, Reversing um, Magnesium?
1: Uh, can you help magnesium me with the title? Magnesium Reversing
0: Disease, yeah. I'm trying to find my, my notes here. Um <laughs> Yeah, death a uh, primal panacea. Uh and his website by the way, before we go any further is peakenergy.com dot com if you wanna find out more about those books. Uh, really, really highly recommend people go and do that. But let's go into curing the incurable. When I listened to this book, unfortunately, Dr. Levy, after my father passed, um, I was just like, What the hell? And why has this been such a battle? And why is my dad you know, not with me still? Because I am sure if you had been his physician from day one, my father would be still with us. And that's a big call to make, but this is what I believe based on the, your book and other research that I've done um, around this. Um, can you tell us, curing the incurable? You, you talked about Dr. Kleiner, you talked about Linus Pauling, uh, Dr. Erwin Stone. Can you give us a little bit of background? This is 40 years that you guys have been saying this stuff, you know, you and your uh, colleagues, that vitamin C is a… Well, Kleiner in 1940, that's
1: 1940, so that's uh, 80 years.
0: 80 years, wow. Okay, got that wrong. 80 (laughs) years with Dr. Kleiner, and then Dr. uh, Linus Pauling, Pauling, Nobel Prize winner two times um, in the 70s, I believe was Mm -hmm. the next sort of step in that process. Yeah, so, like, we've known about this for so long. Why is it not getting that message across? You know, why are we Well,
1: this is not a medical issue, but you asked a direct question, I'll give you a direct answer. Money. Money runs everything, and the pharmaceuticals are multi-billion dollar industries. And what I've said many, many times is, you don't bump out a billionaire. Billionaires will not be excluded, they'll not they'll not be minimized. The only way you get something done is to hopefully analyze the situation and implement it in such a fashion that it doesn't threaten those profits. Okay? So, I mean, if you can Put an additive into gasoline to make it a little more efficient, but not eliminate the gasoline, the companies will probably let you be. Mm-hmm. But if you come along with something that replaces gasoline, don't think trouble. the gasoline oil companies are going to take it lying down. Yeah. It's, it, it should not come as something surprising to people, except for the fact, and this is what people need to realize, Doctors are the same type of people as any other profession. All right. We beat our chest and we try to make ourselves angels, if you will, but we're not even close. You have wonderful politicians, you have vicious politicians, you have wonderful physicians, you have, I won't say vicious, I'll say uh, physicians that do not place the patient's welfare as their number one concern. Yeah. whereas you have other physicians unfortunately in a tiny minority who would give their life for their patient
0: yes yeah yeah can you really put them first and these are quite rare and this is why um you know this is like uh, having dr ron hunting on recently uh he's one of those you know yes, he's, he's one spectacular of the, he's spectacular
1: um and- he is one of my best friends but that's one of the reasons why he's my
0: best friend. Yeah, because I, and and we just connected so well because I could see the heart in the man and the compassion and you know I have had the privilege of having some of those types of, of uh, doctors and scientists as well um, on on the show because I search those types of people out who who are not cowards. I mean, it's my- let me
1: say this: since you mentioned Dr. Honeyhaki. Uh, I don't have a clinical practice, but I often get emails from around the world uh, of people. How can I see you? How can I do that? Can you recommend somebody? Well, there's only one person on the planet that pretty much practices the way I would practice, and that's Dr. Honeyhack. Yeah. So for someone who would be interested in following up on the type of concepts, and now we're in this day and age of Zoom conferences and everything like that, Mm -hmm. they have the facility to offer video consultations in which he can analyze the data, and even if you can never see him directly, he can get you going in the right direction.
0: Absolutely. That's a really good recommendation, you know, especially if you're fighting something serious, you know. Right. Um, you know, um, so back to the um, vitamin C story. We, so Linus Pauling, or Dr. Kliener first. firstly, uh, was using this in practice um, for, for back in the 40s and had some miraculous, you know, and that, it, that word is probably not a good one to use because it implies something, but had some incredible recoveries and saw this. And then Linus Pauling's work where he had cancer patients who lived four times longer in his study and he was only using quite small doses of vitamin C. Um, and then, of course, the Mayo Clinic coming along and replicating his study, um, but using oral vitamin C, um, that's not a replication. And <laughs> <No, laughs> that one is still being quoted. Uh, so what is, what is it that vitamin C does? Let's get into a bit of biochemistry here um, and, and uh, help us understand why is it such a broad-spectrum panacea? Why can it help sepsis, coronavirus, um, any virus, hepatitis, shingles, uh, right through to cancer?
1: Well, first, I would say let's understand what causes disease. And when I say that, I mean all disease. I'm not talking about a percentage of the disease. What causes all disease is having an excessive amount of oxidation among your biomolecules relative to their normal state of reduction. So, oxidation is when a molecule loses electrons and then it's in an oxidized state. Mm -hmm. When you have a biomolecule, RNA, DNA, protein, fat, uh, you name it, enzyme, and that molecule gets oxidized. and loses one or more electrons. Mm -hmm. It either becomes less functional or completely devoid of function. Right. So you completely take one biomolecule out, if you will, when it's oxidized. Now, you have different agents that oxidize, and they're known as toxins. Mm-hmm. Toxin is the same thing as a prooxidant free radical. They're synonyms. So the enemies of health, if you will, are toxins, no matter how you encounter them. Because all toxins cause toxicity and secondary disease by oxidation, nothing else. Right. Now, you might say, well, how could then just that cause so many different diseases? Well, that's because the toxins have different physical and chemical characteristics. One toxin goes in the fat, others goes in uh, water soluble, one penetrates membranes, one's ionic, one concentrates in this tissue. That gives you a variety of clinical disease because different areas and different biomolecules are being concentrated to varying in different degrees throughout the body. That's the entirety of what causes the disease. So when we hear this idea that uh, oxidation causes disease, well, yes, that's true, but it's much more accurate to say oxidation is disease, okay? A tissue of a given disease, liver disease, whatever, uh, there's not an additional ill-defined thing that's wrong with that tissue other than the unique array of oxidation. Now, having said that, your basic overall goal of therapy is to reduce, in other words, donate electrons back to biomolecules that have been oxidized, Mm -hmm. and the extent to which you can do this pretty much dictates the extent to which you can either stop the progression, Reverse the progression, and in early stages, even resolve chronic disease, no matter what the disease. Right. So this is an antioxidant, okay? The toxin is a pro-oxidant, an oxidizing agent, and the antioxidant is a reducing agent. A toxin takes away electrons. Mm -hmm. Antioxidant donates donates electrons. Now, vitamin C, even though there are many, many antioxidants out there, and they all have positive impact. The thing about vitamin C is number one, it's a small molecule.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You can get everywhere. Number
1: two, it's very close in structure to glucose. Now we mm-hmm. know every cell in your body takes up glucose. Yep. So vitamin C tags along and uses the same mechanisms as glucose for uptake into the cell. Right. Number three, each vitamin C molecule can donate two electrons rather than one. So wow. that makes it doubly important. Number four, it has an intermediate stable state. Uh, We know we talk about how vitamin C gets used up quick, and that's true, but it's sort of a biochemical phenomenon type thing. When the vitamin C loses one electron, it can stay indefinitely in the intermediate state where it can either donate another electron or actually go in the opposite direction. And when you have a lot of vitamin C in the cell, what happens when you? reduce oxidize reduce oxidize give take give take give take give take you induce microcurrents okay uh-huh.
0: so electron the- flow
1: is a current yeah. so we like and the more batteries. effective, right the more effectively vitamin c can do this trillions of times a second yep. determines as to how well you can establish healthy microcurrents inside your cells with healthy transmembrane voltages across the membranes.
0: So this is meaning like, so. oxidation isn't always a bad thing, is it, though? Like when No, I do, no not do, at all. So when I do exercise, I'm causing an oxidative stress onto my body, and it's causing a hermetic effect that hopefully my body's going to send more soldiers to build my muscles stronger or whatever the case may be. Um, so this is like a redox, is, a, is like a cycle that is – um, it, important and it's the cycling of the electrons that creates this microcurrent. It's the whole thing is
1: designed, you're right. There's oxidation reduction, and oxidation is part of it. Okay, yeah. The thing about a toxin is a toxin takes electrons and keeps it.
0: I uh, gotcha. So,
1: yeah, vitamin C gives electrons, and then when you take them away from electrons, it goes back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, but the toxin, once it takes the electrons, it becomes electronically more stable, biochemically more stable, and it doesn't give the electrons up. So that's a net theft of electrons from oh, the tissues. Wow.
0: Yeah. So this is <clears> stealing your energy. Stealing. Basically.
1: And and the <laughs> thing about it is with the oxidation, you you need oxidation to stay alive. The thing about well one of the things oxidation does is it helps you relocate the energy-containing molecule where you need it, okay? So right. you uh, when you have vitamin C in the blood, uh, you need active transport. You need to consume energy to get vitamin C inside the cell.
0: Gotcha, yeah. Okay, and this okay. is, yep.
1: Okay, and so the purpose, a part of the energy is to get your energy providing substance in an area where it better does its function. So, yeah, you absolutely need oxidation to balance back and off this. And the other thing, too, is when your oxidized vitamin C level gets high in the blood, then you pass into the cell without the consumption of energy, but then you need to consume energy inside the cell to restore the vitamin C back to its reduced state. But the important thing there is, the vitamin C has unique ways of taking that energy and getting it where it's needed. So just because you're consuming another antioxidant to reduce vitamin C back to its normal state, that's not a loss of energy. It's a translocation of energy.
0: Yep. So that's when things like glutathione, where it's going backwards and forwards. Um, right. And so this is the, the transporter. The what is it? The SVCT two transporter that's getting it into the to the cell. The, getting the vitamin C into the cell. So if we go say uh, intravenous versus oral versus liposomal delivery of vitamin C, um, oral has certain limitations, although important for everyday use. Liposomal vitamin C, like that we've you know we're all hearing about liposomal vitamin C. Is that a better way of delivery? What is the difference between intravenous, oral, and liposomal,
1: in short, perhaps? Well, I've uh, well, first of all, when somebody says, what would you use? My answer is all of them.
0: All of them, yeah.
1: Okay. And, and I'm not going to arbitrarily, if I'm sick, just use one and not the other. Okay. They all have their own unique contribution. Intravenous obviously allows you to get an extremely large amount. Of vitamin C inside the body much more quickly and at a higher concentration than you could by any any other form. Yep. However, I also just told you that the vitamin C in the blood, you need to consume energy to get the vitamin C inside the cell in its reduced form. Mm. Okay. Well, when you take liposome encapsulated vitamin C, because it's like a little cell, a little fat globule cell like structure, it's got the same construction around the liposome is the natural cell membranes in your body. Mm -hmm. So that gets absorbed almost completely and very promptly in the gut, unlike the other oral forms. Yep. And then once it's inside there, it's either in the lymph or the blood. The lymph eventually makes its way to the blood. And then as the blood circulates, the liposomes can then get inside the cell Without the consumption of energy.
0: With it. So if you've got a very sick patient who isn't really responsive to um, recovery, like you know, can't handle a lot of oxidative uh, stress, this would be a better delivery system, perhaps, to get it to them without. Um, well, certainly, one if, if you
1: have it. a loved one who's um, in the hospital and. You can't get it. The doctors intubitus. are giving you a hard time <laughs> yes. and, don't, and they don't have a tube down their throat.
0: Yes. And yes. I would have done that if I had my case with my father, but he was unfortunately intubated. Right. Um, so I, I was stuffed in that. I had lipospheric in the hospital room ready to go for when he was extubated, but unfortunately we never got there. Um, so I, I was reliant on the intravenous way, and the intravenous is like you say a very very powerful way for someone who is in such dire dire straits um, you know as as my father was in sepsis um, can we uh, so just one question on the liposomal. I was concerned about the number of omega six it's a phospholipid uh there's a lot of mega six in the delivery mechanism is that going to be a problem when you've got you know we we tend to have too many omega-6s not enough omega-3s in our diet um if you're taking a lot of liposomal vitamin c that way is that a issue or not really i don't
1: think so the the type of lipid that's in the liposomes. in this case we're talking about the Uh, the live on product. I got to say that because there's a lot of fraudulent liposomes out there.
0: Okay. Live
1: on. Uh, Live on became so uh, prosperous, so quick. Everybody wanted to jump on the bandwagon and in the process, not realize that it's a very complicated process to make a quality Uh liposome. Uh But those other comp, Companies had no problem with it; they just lied.
0: They just didn't make oh, proper.
1: Okay, <laughs> w- w- waiting to get the letter so that they can stop, but have been having made an ungodly amount of profit uh-huh. until they're told to stop. Wow! But okay, <laughs> the uh, yeah, the liposome lipid is phosphatidylcholine. Yes, and this phosphatidylcholine is identical to the phosphatidylcholine that's in the natural cell walls of your body. So. Uh-huh. Uh, so you're so probably no really problem. it's the liposome itself is a positive supplement in addition to what's inside the liposome.
0: Uh huh. Oh, that clears that one up for me because um, I was concerned about the amount of omega sixes that I might be getting giving to my mum in this case um, recently through liposomal delivery. Um, okay, so now let's let's go over the. Um, I was fascinated by the work of Dr. Merrick, Dr. Paul Merrick. Um, I think you know of his uh, study with. Um, mm-hmm intravenous vitamin C in the ICU setting, unfortunately it wasn't a double uh, blind placebo controlled trial but he had a small trial with 96 uh, patients, 47 in the control and 47 uh, who received vitamin C. Now these were very small doses um, and Dr. Barry Fowler has also done this uh, similar work and Dr. Barry is coming on in a, in, a, in a couple of weeks. Um, so Dr. Merrick's He reduced, this is is the statistic that got me um, and what I used when I was advocating for my father, a 40% mortality rate was in the control group with sepsis and um, ARDS, 8% when they got the vitamin C along with hydrocortisone and thiamine. Um, That's a hell of a drop and those are all people. Those are people that are still walking around now, and this is a a small study. And the thing
1: that maddens me is when you want to try something different, some of the standard opposition is, well, you don't have a double-blind placebo-controlled problem, blah, blah, blah. Well, number one, (laughs) if you have something which, as a competent clinician, you know has helped and, very importantly, has no defined toxicity. Exactly. And is not experimental and is inexpensive. The only time the trials that you're talking about are warranted is when you're using a drug that has the potential to have a greater of positive effect, but also has the potential downside for negative side effects. So you need to balance one against the other. This is a when you're talking about something like vitamin C, yep. which is the most important nutrient in your body, it's a ridiculous and foundationless argument. Yep. So it's to me unethical to the highest degree if you're a clinician and you've given just one patient who is just absolutely on death's doorstep, intervene as vitamin C, and the next day they're well or ninety <laughs> percent well. You don't need to repeat that with a thousand patients. You don't need to repeat it with five patients. Okay, so we really have, if you'll excuse the expression, a back asswards way of approaching research. <laughs> yes. But it's all designed, as I said before, to do of one pharmaceuticals. thing. Pharmaceuticals. Support the pharmaceuticals.
0: Yeah, and this is a legal thing, isn't it? Because evidence-based really was, uh, and this is Dr. Ron Haninki said this to me. Uh, evidence-based is not evidence-based. It was designed for the pharmaceutical companies so that they could defend their drug in a in in a court case that they did with a placebo-controlled group that didn't get it, so that they could prove it. But it's it, it's it's not a practicable. Approach for all of medicine to do it in this style. I mean, hyperbaric I use as an example. I do hyperbaric oxygen therapy, was a key player in my mother's rehabilitation from her brain aneurysm. Um, also in the oxidative medicine family, um, they did a trial, a, a clinical trial, but the people know if they're getting hyperbaric. So they did the control was 1.3 atmospheres, and the other one was 1.5 atmospheres. Well, 1.3 is a, a, not a placebo. It's that's a no, treatment.
1: not at
0: all. <laughs> so they all got better, and they said, "Well, they all got better." So therefore, there is no, you know. And it's just like, ah, <laughs> seriously. Um, or in Dr. Merrick's study, where the or uh, in the Citrus Ali study, sorry, um, where the 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 sofa scores were taken uh, as the primary uh, endpoint and not mortality is sort of backwards in my head. Surely we should be looking, did these people die or not, rather than the sequential multi-organ failure score um, as being the – I get why they did it, for, because they were – it was a, a, an early-stage study, but it, it did throw a spanner in the works, and that wasn't a sepsis study. That was an ARD study, because they'd already had sepsis for, for too long, and that's why we probably didn't see – uh, the the dramatic results in that one, because that, that was one of the studies that was chucked back at me when I was fighting for my father. The Citrus Elite study says blah, 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 blah. didn't help with the SOFA score, didn't help with the CRP, didn't help with uh, a couple of the other markers. And I was like, uh, mortality and days in ICU, it did help with. And these people were already extremely sick because when they came into the study, they were already very far along the process.
1: Which is what medicine likes to do with their prescription drug. Right now, with the coronavirus in the U.S., I suppose elsewhere in the world they have remdesivir, and yes. they're doing trials on remdesivir with the end point of looking for less days hospitalized. Yeah. So, I mean that that's the same thing yeah, right. uh, that that they trashed on the one hand, but that's their end point with this insufficient drug therapy, if you will. Let's see if it helps a little bit. And now we're going to get all excited. We we took a prescription drug and we lessened the hospital days by 10, 20,
0: 30, 40%. Yeah. Uh, but we'll ignore vitamin C that could actually get the people and prevent them from dying. Um, Even though it's also place. been
1: documented by hackney studies to decrease length of hospitalization as well.
0: As well, as well. And there have been studies ha- uh, around the world now with the coronavirus, right. haven't there, with vitamin C. Quite um, a bit, yeah. So <laughs> a really uh, sarcastic question. Do you think Dr. Trump's, uh, Dr. Trump, President Trump, is getting vitamin C right now? <laughs> or is he on remdesivir? <laughs> well, Without you know, knowing, I don't have, of a, I don't,
1: I don't have a, a crystal ball, but I think he is getting what was reported, which was, this is significant. <laughs> Nobody talks about this, but had this happened at the beginning of the pandemic, it would have been just incredible news. But shows like yours, the articles on the orthomolecular medicine news service, all this stuff. It's absolutely mind blowing to me that it's in the mainstream news, very casually mentioned that President Trump was getting zinc, (laughs) vitamin D, melatonin. Oh wow! Uh, yes, okay, and I mean that was out there up front what's our president what what the, what the medical community must have just uh, choked on their tongue when they saw that our president was getting at least really? some natural approach to uh to, to bring his uh it, bring his virus under control? Oh they did the I doubt he was using the vitamin C, but uh it's possible.
0: Wow, but at least he's on the melatonin and the the, the zinc. I mean, that 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 is a, a step forward. So, <laughs> but you know, like um, uh, and you hear this, uh, I think from the head of the FDA, none of that has been proven to help. Uh, vitamins A, B, C, D, zinc, melatonin, vitamin C, none you of see, it's that's been just proven. The,
1: that's it's, that's where politics gets into medicine. Yeah, I've often said. And I'm sad to say it, and I don't mean to be sarcastic at all. There's more politics in medicine than there is in politics.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: You have, you have a better chance of a politician giving you an honest statement about a controversial issue than you have uh, a drug representative or a physician representing a drug company giving you the straight poop about a drug. Yeah. Uh, what you just said, and they'll say it all the time, there's no study this, there's no study that. It's a bald-faced lie. What what can you say beyond the fact that they're just lying? Now, let me say, let me backtrack from lie. I should say they're telling something that's wrong. Lie means intent. So I can't tell you whether it's their intent to lie. Like, I know I'm Mm -hmm. telling you something that's wrong, but there's no question that most of the time they're just telling you something that's factually not true. And I dare say, most of the time, a deliberate lie.
0: And it's, it's, it's ignorance. I mean, you know, when... It, no, nothing it's, wrong with ignorance.
1: Nothing wrong with ignorance.
0: But they won't go and look at the damn studies there you are. I mean, Ignorance you know? can be
1: remedied because <laughs> ignorance doesn't mean you have to have a closed mind. It just means you have a mind that hasn't been exposed.
0: Yeah. I mean, like we, you know, this, with, the, uh, with the situation with my father... I had the studies. I was working with doctors outside who were helping me get the studies, present the studies, and they said, don't want to see them, won't be presenting them. All we're worried about is is it legal and whether our staff are not trained in doing vitamin C infusions and whether we are allowed to do it. It was not about the, the clinical. Well, in New Zealand,
1: it's a registered medicine.
0: And not in the hospitals. I was told point blank it is an unlicensed medicine in our, our I local. I think
1: hospital. I'm not sure, but I think you can you can say that was another lie. Yeah, a lot of times a the pharmacy they'll they'll lie like anybody else. Yeah. It's something they don't want to do, and so they'll just toss it aside. Oh, it's not allowed. Yeah. Until you take the law book and yeah. stick it in their face and say you're wrong. Stop lying.
0: But you, you know, as a lawyer and as someone who's brilliant can do that. A loved one who's fighting for their family who hasn't slept in two weeks, who doesn't no. know about the law is buggered to be quite fair, you know. Um And and so this is, you know, why I'm doing these, these interviews because I want people to be just made aware of this sort of uh situation. So, okay, vitamin C can help and we've seen the studies now um, and perhaps we'll, we will link to some of the studies in the show notes with sepsis. And there are, uh, uh, who was it? Dr. Barry Fowler said, use this analogy, just in the States, two seven four sevens of of people are dying every single day of sepsis who don't need to be dying, who are crashing into the ground. Basically, that number of people are dying daily in the States alone, let alone the rest of the world from sepsis, which could be drastically uh, helped with uh, intravenous vitamin C. Um, Do you think, uh, like Dr. Merrick included thiamine and hydrocortisone, is that a necessary uh, additive or a beneficial additive to, to that protocol, or is vitamin C the key player here?
1: Yeah, no, they're not necessary at all. That's not to say they didn't have a positive impact. I mean, like when people ask about supplements. So, what supplements should I take? And I mentioned something that they, what about this, this, and this? I said, well, those are all good too. But I mean, so, yeah. but as far as being vital to the response, no. And in fact, predating Dr. Merrick's study, about a year earlier, they did a study in Iran, of all places, uh-huh. uh, with patients with sepsis getting roughly. The same dose of vitamin C every six hours, and that was it. Yep. And
0: Sepsie they got grind. the
1: same response yep. and mortality rate.
0: Wow.
1: One thing about the hydrocortisone that makes it especially unnecessary in sepsis is sepsis is a state where you have massive infection, massive increased oxidative stress throughout the body. Well, when you have increased oxidative stress, what are you going to do? You're going to, like we talked earlier, oxidize biomolecules. Mm -hmm. Well, as it turns out, in addition to oxidizing a lot of biomolecules, you also oxidize the cortisol receptors. Cortisols Uh have receptors they bind to. Well, I just said what happens when you oxidize a biomolecule? It doesn't work. So those receptors Uh aren't taking up the cortisol anymore. So the body's natural reflex is to produce a large amount of cortisol. It is documented in septic septic patients that there's already a high level of endogenous hydrocortisone. So then what happens when you give vitamin C? When you give vitamin C, one of the first things it does is it starts reducing those oxidized hydrocortisone receptors and then the hydrocortisone that's already circulating in the body Can binds to the receptors yeah. and gets taken up into the cell. Okay? So you and need... one of the primary functions of hydrocortisone, not well known, I don't believe, is that it profoundly increases the uptake of vitamin C inside the cell.
0: Uh huh. Is that why it, it would be ah, beneficial? Is that why Dr. Merrick perhaps used it in this case? Uh, we don't. We can't really comment. No, I don't.
1: On. I don't think so because if it, if that was the case, he wouldn't have given the chimeric at all. I mean, you're you're already you've got giving something that's all, that's already present in high amounts inside Could, the body. Yeah. So, but for, I from, can't say for sure what his reasoning was.
0: Yeah, or maybe it was a, a limitation of the study, and he had to use a drug. Um, possibly, we're, we're conjecture here. Um, so, the when pe- when you release cortisol, just for people listening. It is an anti-inflammatory, isn't it? It's, a, it's one of the stress hormones, and it basically takes energy away from, you know, you making inflama- inflammatory responses, and that is beneficial uh, use, you know. Right,
1: and yeah. it's it's my opinion, based on the evidence as I reviewed over the years, is that Vitamin C, of course, is a powerful anti-inflammatory, and I would tell you that the reason hydrocortisone is a powerful anti-inflammatory is because it gets the most important anti-inflammatory, vitamin C, inside the cells where it's so needed. it. we don't
0: need it. That, 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 makes, that makes good sense. Um, are you
1: aware of Remember, the- anti-inflammatory just means you're in an area of increased oxidative stress that needs more electrons brought into it. That's all inflammation is. Right and that's and another point way. too to, to buttress all of this is when you have inflammation starting anywhere, I often talk about the coronary artery getting mm-hmm. inflamed, mm-hmm. vitamin C levels go down to nil, so you have a lot of oxidative stress inside the blood vessel, okay and what's the first immune cell to show up as a, as, a Neutrophil. Or, as a neutrophils, more specifically the macrophage
0: macrophage and okay. the
1: macrophage has, 80-fold, 8,000% more vitamin C inside it than the blood.
0: Wow.
1: So all you're doing, in my humble scientific opinion, I think personally and scientifically that the primary role of the immune system, since it's precipitated, always by areas of increased inflammation and increased oxidative stress, Mm -hmm. my opinion is the primary, not the only, but the primary role of the immune system is to bring vitamin C where it's most depleted.
0: Wow, and that's what the macrophages are doing. Right. So are you aware of the work of Professor Margaret Visses? Uh, She's a professor here in New Zealand at Otago Uh University and Dr. Nitra Carr as well, but uh, Professor Visses is coming on um, next week. On the show, and uh, I, for, forgive me, I don't have a scientific background. I'm trying to get my head around all this uh, science, um, biochemistry. But she had showed on on in one of her lectures the neutrophils coming to the site of infection, say uh, pneumonia or sepsis, eating the bacteria into into the neutrophils. They gorge on these bacteria. That's a good thing. The the uh, bacteria are then inside the neutrophils, and if the neutrophils don't have vitamin C in them, they vomit out, for the want of a better description, their own DNA. Eventually, they sort of explode and, and bleb out and put all this DNA into the, where are they putting it, cytoplasm? Um And this is causing, so when you get white out on the lungs, that's lungs being filled up with neutrophils. And then the macrophages are meant to come along and eat the neutrophils, from what I understand. And they will only do that if there is vitamin C in the neutrophils. If I butchered
1: that? Both the macrophages and the neutrophils are phagocytic. Okay. Uh They'll they'll, They'll eat. And even though the macrophage has the most, I said 8,000% more vitamin C than the blood, the neutrophils have... Four to five thousand percent more vitamin C in the blood, wow. so they're sort of like uh with regard to vitamin C content they're right up there with the macrophage, and both the macrophage and the neutrophil have these phagocytic pac man like qualities, if you will,
0: yeah, and they're eating the bugs and getting rid of them so she she was talking about um Well, no, Dr. Barry Fowler, was it? Oh, God, I'm mixing my things up. NETs, neutrophil extracellular traps. Have you heard of those? Not familiar with that one, no. The vitamin C prevents, from what I understand, uh, and we'll have Professor Margaret on next week, uh, that it it stops the neutrophils from uh, uh, regurgitating basically their own DNA and poisoning the space around them, and then the macrophages won't eat them and then... In the case of, say, um, ARDS, or Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome, you've got whiteout and you can't get rid of it. It's, it's um, not going to go away and it's not going to be taken out by the by the macrophages. Um, yeah, it would be interesting to, work, uh, to look at those nets, um, neutrophil, extracellular traps. Uh, it was Dr. Barry Fowler that was talking about that. But... I've got so much um, research in my head, I'm probably mixing my professors. <laughs> 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 and not having a biochemistry degree anyway, um, I'm doing my best. Um, so hopefully I haven't butchered that. Okay, so what should people do? On a practical standpoint, if someone is in hospital with a loved one, they've got pneumonia, they've got coronavirus, they've got sepsis, how can they get their, their doctors to... Give intravenous vitamin C or liposomal delivered vitamin C, what would be your, you know, so they're not in a situation like I was fighting against the machinery. So um, we're
1: talking about someone who's not intubated yet.
0: Yes, because when they're okay. intubated, you're buggered. Um, right, right. <clears throat> but you gave me a couple of things that I never thought to uh, bring into the conversation with the doctors. Um, I brought in the clinical studies. I brought in the, you know, um, the the evidence. But it was, you know, saying to the doctor, I'm going to come after you and I'm going to sue you if you don't do this because the evidence is there.
1: Um, And draw the vitamin C level. And when it comes back low, this doctor is a nutrient level that's low. Please treat it.
0: Yep. Okay, so get the vitamin C treated. By the way, in my local hospital, they were unable to test it. Okay. So that's just ridiculous. Is it a very difficult thing to test for, vitamin C levels?
1: I don't think so. Mm. Not that I know of. I mean, you know, it involves a certain technique, and you either have the technique or you don't, but yeah. it's not something sort of exotic or out there, no. Oh,
0: wow, okay. So anyone who is in that situation, basically you need to get vitamin C in somehow and ideally you're having it in six hourly intermittent constant levels so that you're because vitamin c has a very short half-life can you explain that a little bit why the intermittent like the every six hours is crucial
1: well it's just excreted that rapidly in the blood once it's in the uh once it's created that rapidly in the kidneys once it's in the blood you know a lot like that, and then it goes down quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's why you have every six hours so that as it starts going down, you have another bump up so that you more or less keep a, a steady state, which is also why liposomes are so good because once they get taken up inside the cell, they effectively become a long-acting form of vitamin C because they're, they've been taken out of the area where they can be rapidly excreted. Uh-huh. You know, you're talking about what that's to do good. for a patient in the hospital And this would help anybody, but it would especially help with the acute viral infection, the respiratory problem, and the coronavirus. And believe it or not, it actually relates back to vitamin C. And that's the nebulization or inhalation of hydrogen peroxide. Oh, yes. I wanted to ask Hydrogen peroxide. Okay. Little known facts. Number one, inside the body and inside the lungs. After it kills the pathogen, you know what's left? Oxygen and water. Wow. That's the breakdown products of hydrogen peroxide. So at the same time, you kill the pathogen, you do the two things that are most important for healing a tissue. You hydrate it and you oxygenate it. Okay. Yeah. Number two is we now know that the respiratory lining of the lungs naturally produces and excretes hydrogen peroxide 24-7, so that you actually have hydrogen peroxide existing already endogenously to protect you against new pathogens that you breathe in. And when you get an infection, that production increases. So all you're doing with hydrogen peroxide nebulization is you're augmenting a natural response. Wow! And add to that the fact that there's been no No infections, pathogens of any type that have been found to be resistant to uh, hydrogen peroxide. Now, vitamin C and hydrogen peroxide. (laughs) The fenton reaction, vitamin C goes in, donates the electron to iron, which passes along the peroxide, make hydroxyl radical, oxidize and kill the cell or the pathogen or whatever. Another thing, little known fact, that vitamin C does is outside of the cell, It stimulates hydrogen peroxide production. So it causes more peroxide to be produced, which then passes easily into the cell and continues to give the vitamin C inside the cell more fuel to result in the oxidative reaction that uh, kills the pathogen.
0: Wow. So, okay, nebulizing uh, hydrogen peroxide, so just your normal 3% food-grade hydrogen peroxide that you can buy at the chemist or the –
1: Right. 3% or less. Some 3% people 3% is a little potent, but if it's not, that's great. But you, you can get a very positive response with, with half a percent or a tenth of a percent. But
0: a I say, why
1: not, why not go up to the percent that you easily tolerate uh, and get the job done a little more quickly?
0: is it is there any danger with um, people you know going out buying nebulizers so when you when you buy a little nebulizer is it like like the essential oil sort of thing you know that you have do you need to have a towel over your face sort of like you do when you get a cold and you put um, menthol or something in it have you <laughs> you've got one for me oh okay no that, that wasn't what I was picturing okay oh great yeah,
1: yeah,
0: nebulizer okay and and, put, and you put just the put liquid that in. in. There, yeah. Yep. And then you just breathe and it. Turn it off. And for five to ten minutes sort of uh yeah. prophylactic. No yeah. And if you've got a cold or something like that, it would help or flu or, or things like it that. It sounds
1: grandiose, but I want to say anybody that's listening, if you have this device and you have your peroxide, you need never suffer from a cold or respiratory virus again. Which oh, also yes. means influenza or flu. Wow. You should never suffer from that again. I don't know. I I, I can't make it any clearer than that.
0: No, that's
1: amazing. Is this but, like so, but, but once you have the nebulizer, you know how much the vitamin C cost? <laughs> cure your cold or flu? Uh, well, a little bit more. Less, <laughs> less than ten cents.
0: Really, like the vitamin C side of things.
1: No, it's much cheaper than vitamin C. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, uh, yeah, the hydrogen peroxide. Yeah. Would, yeah. yeah. Okay, so so hydrogen peroxide and vitamin.
1: Oh, C and if people want protocols or vitamin. articles, uh, you could give them my email. I don't, I don't try to hide from people who I get uh-huh. all upset and agitated about something. And I mean, I can't do consultations. Yep. But if people want information. Uh, a little guidance, uh, you can give them my uh, email address.
0: Wow. Oh. Are you sure? <laughs> you might get no, no, problem. <laughs> no
1: problem. It's wow. been available wow. for it's many years it. now.
0: Okay. Um, that's that's amazing. Um, what is the email address that people can get you on then, Dr. Thomas? If you...
1: Well, it's my initials, T-E, Thomas Edward, T-E, last name Levy, L-E-V-Y-M-D, T-E-L-E-V-Y-M-D at yahoo.com.
0: At yahoo.com. Wow, that's very, very, very generous of you. Um, is ozone, because I, I, I've been studying ozone as well, um, I've got a home ozone machine here. Is that that's related to hydrogen peroxide too, isn't it? That, that yes, it's interesting.
1: Hydrogen peroxide, in the- hydrogen peroxide, ozone, ultraviolet light, <laughs> hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Yep. They're all basically doing the same thing, just but by different routes and different points of access. Wow. I mean, ozone, well, I mean, I can't, I gotta say it for the peroxide too, but ozone is probably, if you had to pick one, the single most potent anti pathogen agent there is. Wow. You put ozone in the presence of a pathogen, pathogen's it. gone, okay? Yeah. So, but most of these therapies that I'm telling you about have an equal impact if you apply them correctly. And, and of course, the only reason that ozone shouldn't be at the number, number one on top of the list is access, ozone yep. machine, physician control. What I said with hydrogen peroxide, uh, unless you don't up. have, a, unless you don't have current, you can use batteries. Uh, you can do in the Serengeti in Africa.
0: Wow. Okay, you yeah. know, so, so you that's don't that. You need a machine. You don't.
1: Access everywhere on the planet uh, to real – and the other thing, too, is even if you don't have a nebulizer and you really want to take it down to bare bones, you can uh, take a little spray and spray the back of your throat several times early on, and that will probably do the trick as well, just not as effectively if you've already let it get down into your lungs, whatever the wow. infection is. but. This is, you're using nature's natural antibiotic. Peroxide is produced in every cell of the body, in the extracellular space, uh, and it breaks down into water and oxygen. What horrible metabolic byproducts.
0: <laughs> and, and so there's this whole uh, family of oxidative medicines. I mean, I've studied exactly. hyperbaric. I've had a hyperbaric clinic. I've got ozone here. Uh, I'm going to get the peroxide. I definitely do intravenous vitamin C. and all sorts of vitamin C, these are all in the oxidative family and these all have uh, the ability to get more oxygen delivered to the cells and more nutrients in the case of vitamin C to the cells. So they all have a very similar basis or mechanism of action, don't they? Yes. Uh,
1: and yes, this is right. why
0: they, they, they work on a, such a broad spectrum from corona to cancer and... Um, and in, in the powerful agents, because I think the the you know go back to the pharmaceuticals. They don't like broad spectrum things either, because if you've got something that can fix that, but that, but that as well, then oh, it can't possibly be right. And uh, we can't sell the drug for this, for this, for this, and that if, if we've got that. And therefore, this oxidative medicine family is just being ignored across the board. So ozone is, is also facing the same issues. Hyperbaric is facing the same issues as as is vitamin C. I haven't studied UV irradiation, but that's next on my radar as well. Um, So it's the same problem right across. And I have seen, you know, with my my latest book, um, telling the story with my mum, bringing her back, that hyperbaric oxygen therapy was a massive part of her brain's recovery. We could get oxygen to the cells. Um, I got into vitamin C later in the piece, and she has an intravenous vitamin C uh, every week, and we do uh, six grams a day for her orally as well um, and my mum is now 79 and she is 74 and a half um, or she's yeah turning 79 and we were told she would never do anything again, never have any quality of life, put her in an institution and she'll be gone within a few months very likely. And I just absolutely refuse to believe this. And even though I'm not a doctor, I was able to find all these great things by accessing great minds like yourself, reading the books, doing the hard yards, doing the thousands of hours of retraining the brain and doing the research, doing the hard yards. And now I've got my mum back. And so that really makes me, what you know want to fight for people to because I get frustrated I've lost a friend this week to cancer I've I've lost you know parents um, of, of friends a few weeks ago people unfortunately when I go to tell them something and send them off in the right area of research very often go no my doctor says that's rubbish and therefore I'm not listening to you and I'm oh, just what?
1: You know, well, what I just said, let me put a put a little punctuation mark and an uh, exclamation point on what I just said. But if everybody on the planet had access to hydrogen peroxide nebulization and started doing it, there wouldn't be a single case on coronavirus on the planet in a week.
0: Wow! Wow! <laughs> that's a really big call, and that's uh, so we should be we should be getting this in our arsenal at home right now all around the world, because this is something that's achievable, easy, cheap, um, and something that we can do proactively. Are there any dangers with people doing peroxide? Can we overdose? Can we do anything? Well, now, uh,
1: Only if you start going to very high concentrations. Anything that's pro-oxidant, and obviously hydrogen peroxide is pro-oxidant because it's killing the pathogens. Mm-hmm. You're not killing the pathogens with an antioxidant effect. If you continue on high-dose peroxide, yeah, you can start causing oxidative damage just like with anything else. But at 3% or below, the only thing you might notice if you're doing too much is you might start getting a little irritation in the nose, a little soreness in the throat. Well, you've really gone too far, but only because you've killed all the pathogens and now you're starting to irritate the normal tissue.
0: Right. So with ozone, it's different. So like with ozone, you can't breathe ozone in. No,
1: no. Because that's you, the only way you can way. take it just about anywhere else. But boy, yeah. the, the lugs don't like the ozone at all. No. So that's the, the interesting only thing too is awesome. I told you about peroxide breaking down to hydrogen and oxygen, uh, water and oxygen. If you if you use an oximeter, and mm-hmm. you're running about ninety five, and then you start nebulizing. After 30 seconds to a minute, you're going to start seeing that oxygenation level go up 96, 97, 98, 99, wow. sometimes 100.
0: Wow, that is absolutely – I've got a, um oximeter coming because breathing, um, breathing techniques are another thing that can actually um, change your whole chemistry in your body with carbon dioxide and so on. This is also a very uh, interesting and powerful mechanism. I don't know if you're aware of the work of um, Patrick McCown. Um, a great book, The Oxygen Advantage, and again, it's helping the body use its own mechanisms, breathing in this case, um, to opt, you know, optimize the delivery of oxygen by raising our tolerance to carbon dioxide levels, which has been a very fascinating read um, that I'll be covering off in another episode. Dr. Levy, you've um, just before I let you go, because I know we've we've it on for, <laughs> for a fair while and covered a lot of ground, I heard you in talk in one of your lectures, and I haven't read this book yet. The Magne- magnesium reverses disease. Mm-hmm. Briefly touch, because um, uh, and, and the death by calcium book as well. Um, this was news to me that calcium. If we start there, calcium we need in the body; it's an essential nutrient. But if it's in the wrong places, uh, we can be running into trouble, and this is causing
1: well, it as well. It's a toxic nutrient. A tox- Iron, copper, and calcium are your three toxic nutrients. You absolutely need them in low levels, and above those levels, they're all absolutely toxic. Wow. Okay, so every disease cell, I don't care what the disease is, whether it's an infection, toxin, lupus, scleroderma, every disease cell has increased intracellular oxidative stress, which is always caused by calcium. Always. Wow. You increase the calcium, you increase the stress, and then magnesium is the yin and yang. You increase your magnesium, you decrease your calcium. They're physiological antagonists. That's why magnesium is, Excellent. and this may shock some people, your most important single supplement. Yeah. I, I, because when I you're magnesium deficient, nothing can substitute for magnesium, and most people are deficient. But let's say you're deficient in vitamin C, you can partially compensate by taking other antioxidants. So when people like to just play, well, what's your most important oxidant, uh, 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 supplement oh, yeah. in magnesium? Of it's, course, I'm going to take vitamin C and vitamin D and vitamin K2 as well, Yep. and iodine. But magnesium is the only one that cannot be substituted for. Well, vitamin D can't be substituted for either, but... Yeah. Uh, a magnesium deficiency causes many diseases and makes all diseases worse.
0: Is there a good type of uh, magnesium? Like, Because uh, there's like three, so I don't know, the more three and eight. And, uh, who, who well, you know, there are many good ones.
1: You have the anion and you have the cation. Okay, you've got the magnesium, the cation, and the anion can be, can be of no consequence or major consequence of clinical impact on your body as well. Magnesium chloride, interestingly, is extremely important in uh, inhibiting and eradicating infections, especially viral. Uh, So when I talk about coronavirus, I say your magnesium supplementation should be in the magnesium chloride form. Uh You know, when you're dealing with a a brain problem. Well, then your magnesium three and eight that gets mm-hmm. across the blood brain barrier well. But all of them, the glycinate and the uh, uh, carbonate, they they all have their own unique features, uh, and it's just a question of uh what else you want to take along with it.
0: So you take want a mix, I right. So you'd you take a mixture of different types of magnesium, perhaps, is to cover all your bases. Ideally, yeah. And so if, if they're not
1: covered with other supplements, yes.
0: Okay. So 600 to 1,000 milligrams of who heard you say is a good um, – is that correct? Uh, yeah,
1: that's about right. The thing is is the, the magnesium is like the vitamin C orally. Yep. You take too much too quick, you get the diarrhea. osmotic diarrhea and the loose bowels. Yeah. So uh, you're probably never going to take enough magnesium if you take one single dose a day uh, uh, rather than spreading it out. Just like because if you C. spread it out, you can get a lot more in without causing the loose valve. Before bowel you
0: therapy. get the diarrhea. So go to that point bef- just before diarrhea and then have this intermittently throughout the day. Um, it, you mentioned iron as being a essential nutrient but a toxic in higher doses. I'm a little bit concerned because I have suffered with anemia in my entire athletic career, so I've been a you know extreme endurance athlete. Um, and I've taken a lot of iron. Have I done myself damage? Should I be knocked? Well,
1: you do a lot of aerobic yeah. and you do a lot of sweating. Yeah. And the one study they showed way back when was roughly 50% of young athletic men and women in different schools and different sports were able to push themselves into an iron deficiency anemia by the end of their athletic season. Mm. which just reflects how much how much iron you can lose in your sweat. Yeah. So without looking at your ferritin levels, I would say statistically speaking, unless you just took a ton of iron, you're probably still uh, in a nice low range of iron because of the fact that uh, sweating is part of your lifestyle. But you should never supplement iron unless you have not an anemia, but an iron deficiency anemia.
0: Oh, which is okay. which is so
1: a, no. it, not just any old anemia. It has to be an anemia secondary to iron deficiency, which has a characteristic morphology. What's called hypochromic and microcytic, mm-hmm. tiny, tiny, blood, tiny blood cells with small amounts of hemoglobin inside them. That's an iron deficiency anemia, uh-huh. and then you only take enough iron to get your blood level back to normal because you don't want your ferritin going above, say, 35, 25, 30 or so.
0: Wow. Okay. So mine has mine always, you know, hovered around the 10 to 12, and it's always been a, a massive good.
1: problem. That's good.
0: Um, so, but yeah, the, the 10
1: to 12 probably indicates that your anemia was iron deficient. So yeah. it just without knowing a lot of detail, it sounds like,
0: be okay your, your, your minimal effects. intaking
1: of the of the iron was appropriate for your particular condition.
0: Yeah, because I was constantly, as an athlete, of course, my ability to carry oxygen with my hemoglobin being low and my um uh and uh, you know iron deficiency mm-hmm. that was always a problem for a competitive athlete because you just couldn't you didn't have the the lungs or the, the ability to carry enough oxygen. Um, Okay, and iodine—is there a danger? Because I've heard Dr. Brownstein talk about the essential nature of iodine. Um, if someone has Hashimoto's, is that a caveat for having iodine? Though, because I took—I gave my mother iodine, and she has Hashimoto's.
1: Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not, not, I can't Pierre give States. you a yay or nay on that. I'm not really an expert on that particular thing. So, I, I, so I. I My inclination is it's still fine to take the iodine, but I don't have a sophisticated level of knowledge on that, so I don't want to give you an absolute. It's important, though, with thyroiditis, inflammation, uh, um, autoimmune, all autoimmune comes from oral infections. Oh, okay. So the teeth, the gums, the sinuses, and the tonsils. Yep. In one way or another, effect. with your thyroid gland draining all the garbage in your mouth. It's like it's like a it's like a toxin screen for everything that's in your mouth.
0: Okay, so get your mouth cleaned up. Get your uh, uh, hydrogen peroxide. Get your teeth looked at. All of that sort of stuff. Um, yes. When we're going to our dentist, who isn't Hal Huggins. <laughs> What are we asking them to look for apart from amalgam fillings being removed? That's an obvious one. But say, well, like, I've got root canals. Have I got an issue there? You know, what are we looking for? Is it something that they've put into it? I haven't read Dr. Huggins' book. Oh,
1: the, well, first of all, 100% of root canals are infected. They're, oh. they're all infected. Okay. Oh, because they take out the nerve and the blood supply. So there's no way the body can keep the tooth sterile up there. That's just not a possibility. And this has been documented with toxicological studies and over a 5,000 consecutive extractive brew canals okay. that Dr. Haley and Dr. Boyd Haley and Dr. Huggins did. Now, if your thyroid status is perfect, if your supplementation is perfect, If your CRP is perfect, well below one, like below uh,
0: 0.5, and
1: and, uh, an interval change shows that the level of infection in your root canal is not changing, they can be of inconsequential impact on your health. But that's a really small percentage.
0: So, okay. okay.
1: And we're talking about a perfect reverse T3, T3 ratio. Yep. Because when that gets out of balance, infections metastasize, just like cancer metastasizes. Oh, wow. The title of my book, Hidden Epidemic, the subtitle is Silent Oral Infections Cause Most Heart Attacks and Breast Cancers.
0: Crikey. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so it's that. So
1: portion. you should, you send me send me an email. I'll, I'll send you the ebook on that. Oh, uh, brilliant! Because what you need is a three D cone beam examination of the mouth, because many times even other other teeth can be infected but do not hurt.
0: Wow. Yeah, that, that's got me really concerned because I've got a really um, you I know, mean, I've got a whole lot of um implants too. In, in, in the in the well, teeth
1: that, so. that's that's where the the three D would be important too, because it could tell you whether the implants are stable or infected
0: okay wow so people um hidden epidemic get that book as well you've got a lot of reading to do after this episode dr thomas levy you've been absolutely amazing i really just thank you and honor you for your work the passion you bring the compassion that you bring uh it, it's phenomenal, and I just wish there were more people like you on the planet. So thank you so so much for for everything. You've today. got a lot
1: of passion in this too. So
0: <laughs> yeah, I do. We're, we're, doing, we're doing it together. <laughs> yep, we'll, we'll put out. I'll put my two cents in too hey. to make a difference in this world, um, and hopefully we can make it a better place for people. Um, so if people want to reach out to to Dr. Levy, uh, his website and his uh, email will put in the show notes. The website is peakenergy.com. Go and get those books, Curing the Incurable, uh, The Magnesium Reversing Disease, Death by Calcium, Primal Panacea, uh, The Toxic Tooth. Um, There's so many. There's 11. I can't say them. You probably can't say them. Um, (laughs) Go and get some of them. Start reading. Start learning. Start educating yourself and take responsibility for your health. Any last words, Dr. Levy?
1: Well, we touched upon it earlier, but just that people realize, and it's difficult, I know, when you're sick, you're frightened, you don't want to be thinking a lot, you just want to put yourself in the hands of somebody and let them take off with it, all I can say is that's a mistake. Yeah. You, you got you to collect yourself, deal with your emotions, talk to some family and good friends, start your own research track and be the captain of your health care.
0: Love it. And that is everything that I believe in and stand for in a nutshell. Take as much control as you can, even if you're not a doctor, even if you don't have a background. We have access through things like this podcast to get the best information and be proactive in your health. Be preventative, not the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. And if you are in the deep trouble, Make sure you are vigilant. Make sure you ask the questions. And if you get pushed back from the doctors, find another doctor if you can. Okay, Dr. Levy, thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely amazing.
1: Very good. Thank you for having me, Lisa.
0: That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com.